So as we go there this morning, uh, let me first just say how awesome it is to be back together. Uh, you know, I was thinking about all of this in the beginning, and, and uh, you know, for a couple of weeks, the video thing was, was okay, and then the last few weeks, it was <laughs> kind of like dreading every time I had to turn a camera on and not preach to people, but to a camera. Uh, and in all of that, I, the thing that I, I was thinking through all of this is, man, I hope when we get back together that it makes people realize and appreciate the assembly of the, the brothers and sisters in Christ. I hope that it truly makes us appreciate how meaningful this is. As, we, as we've talked about before, there is something that you receive when we come together in worship. Thank you. There's something that we receive uh, as we fellowship together in worship that we can't receive on our own. Now, you can worship God anywhere you go. You can worship Him in your house. You can worship Him watching sermons on videos in your closet, in your car. Anywhere you go, you can worship God. But there is something significant about the body of Christ coming together. Video will never be a replacement for the assembly of the church. It never can be. The church will not be able to function as it was intended to function. Video can be a supplement to that. We can be obedient to the government for a time and step back for a time, but video can never replace what happens here. There's something different that happens here that we don't receive at home. So that's why it is so significant that we come back together uh, in worship. But as we look into that this morning, I want to talk about some of those things. One of the reasons that this is significant because, is because of the encouragement and the witness that we get from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a community of believers. We have these people that come together and encourage one another on to continue on in the faith, to fix our eyes on Christ. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. But as we do that, let's actually, we're going to start in Hebrews 12. We're going to read the first uh, four verses, and then we're going to go back to uh, Hebrews 11. So Hebrews 12, starting verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Um, so as we consider this, as, he, as he's talking about being surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses and fixing your eyes on Christ and running this race, I was thinking about this because there's been people that I've heard from through this, this time. You know, I guess through this time, a lot of people were talking in the, in the beginning about how much extra time everybody was going to have. For some people, that might be true. For others, I feel like things were more busy than they've ever been through this time. But what I have heard from most people, I don't know that I've heard one person say that I have grown more through this time. Uh, that may be the case for somebody, but anybody that I have heard from has said, I feel like I've kind of drifted. I feel like I've kind of started uh, losing something that I had before. Uh, through this time. And the reason that we talk about this today, the reason that the Word of God, again, tells us that we are to assemble together 
is because we gain something that we don't get on our own. And again, the significant part of that is the witness of other believers. And that's what we're going to go back and look at in Hebrews chapter 11 uh, so we can understand what Hebrews chapter 12 is telling us here. Uh, We're not going to read every bit of Hebrews 11, but we're going to look at just a few things. Some of the things that we see in the lives of uh, people who had committed themselves to God, people who had fixed their eyes on God, uh, going back all the way to Abraham, if you start, or even before that. But if you look in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about uh, it was by faith that Noah followed God's direction and built an ark to save his family. We see then that Abraham followed his call to leave the land of his fathers, living as a stranger in the land. Abraham believed God's promise when he was promised a son, uh, though he and Sarah were by all estimations too old, too old for such a thing. Uh, we see then the Bible tells us that it was by faith that Moses, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Then we're going to read uh, Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 32. It says, And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped Uh, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others who were tortured, refusing to, to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated, The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in the deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us they may be made made perfect. So what what he's showing here in Hebrews chapter 11 is the witness of those who have trusted God Uh, even as they were only able to see a small glimpse of what was to come for humanity in Christ. Now, we've talked about this uh, in the past in in Matthew, I'm sorry, 1 Peter chapter 1, starting verse 10, it says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. So he is listing all of these people in Hebrews chapter 11 that were part of this time. The people who heard the prophets speak. The people who heard just these simple small glimpses of what God was saying through the prophets pointing to Christ. Everything from the beginning uh, as we've talked about in, before, in, in the Old Testament, everything that we see in some way has some sort of symbolic reference to the spiritual things that would come for believers in Christ. We see even in the beginning, we see that with Adam and Eve. We see that out of the side of Adam was born his wife. And as Christ hung on the cross, he was pierced where? In his side. 
So as Adam's bride was born out of his side, mankind received salvation and people were born into the church out of the pierced side of Christ as he was hung on the cross and they pierced his side. God knew exactly what he was doing. Back in the beginning when he took the rib out of Adam's side, he knew exactly what he was doing that was pointing to what would come in the future in Christ. There are countless examples of that through the Old Testament. That's just one of many. But my point is that all of these people through this time had this dim view, like looking through a glass at the, tr- the truth that was coming, the grace that was coming, the goodness of God that was coming for humanity through Christ. And the prophets searched intently to try to understand the fullness of that message of what was coming. And it says, even angels long to look into this message, the message that you and I have received, that message that for years was somewhat a mystery to them. It was hidden uh, to some extent from them, and they saw a glimpse of it, but it was hidden. And that is the grace and the glory and the goodness that we stand in today. But you see, even those who just had that small view of that, they had this dim view of the glory that was to come. They committed themselves to it. They saw this truth, and they ordered their lives as though they actually believed that truth. So what we're saying here, what he's talking about in Hebrews 11 here, is all of these people who had not yet received the fullness of the message, but they heard God speak. They heard God speak to their hearts. They had seen him in some sort of spiritual revelation. Now, we're not talking about them seeing through their own human vision, but somewhere their heart was awakened to the message of God's goodness and His grace, and His mercy, and they saw that as necessary to follow. They saw that as something that was fit to order everything in their lives after this. And they committed themselves through suffering, enduring persecution, enduring uh, being killed for this, enduring, as it says, that Abraham left the land of his fathers and he wandered in, in the lands, living as a stranger in the land because he was looking for a city with foundations whose architect was God. He had seen something beyond this earth. God had revealed to him something that was beyond, that transcended this earth. And though he may not have fully understood it at the time, he ordered his life in a way where he trusted God's call and he followed that wherever it led. It wasn't based on suffering. It wasn't based on sickness. It wasn't based on how he felt. It wasn't based on whether he struggled, whether he had good things or he didn't. It was based on the promise of God. You see, that is what faith is. It is us hearing the promise of God, us acknowledging the promise of God, us understanding the promise of God, and then I trust that. As we've used before, we've talked about how the chair, having a chair is a good illustration of faith. That we have these chairs sitting up here, and I can tell you all about these chairs. I can tell you that it has good sturdy legs and it has a nice cushion and it'll make you it'll support your back it'll do i can tell you everything about these chairs but the chair will do nothing for any one of us unless we sit down in it and you see the issue is that all of these people all of these people that he is outlining in hebrews 11 they had seen the promises of god they had acknowledged the truth of these promises but then they went a step further and they sat down because they trusted it You see, it's the same thing. I can tell you all the information about the chair, but unless you trust what has been told to you about the chair, it will never do anything for you. That is exactly what we're talking about in our faith walk, is 
we can tell you all of the benefits of Christ. Uh, David wrote in Psalm 103, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He knew the benefits of God. There are benefits of walking with God. Benefits are walking in righteousness, peace, and joy. The Bible says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because it is something that affects the depths of who I am. When I am in the kingdom of God, it affects the very essence of my being. Walking with God, the benefits of walking with Him is the peace that comes from being restored to a relationship with Him. The fellowship that comes with His Spirit. The fellowship that comes with brothers and sisters in Christ. The peace and assurance that comes in the midst of suffering. Know that even though I endure these trials, and it may even lead to my death, that I see something beyond, and I am willing to order my life after that because I am able then to walk in a way where I am living up to my created purpose. And you will never find any more fulfillment than you will find in that place. You see, those are the benefits of walking with God. But we can tell people all we want about the benefits of God, but at some point they have to be able to sit down in that, to be able to apply that to their hearts, to trust that, to order their life, meaning every single thing in their life is ordered as though they actually believe the promises that have been spoken to them. Because if we don't order our lives that way, the promise is meaningless to us. You see, the promises of God have been spoken to His people And all through Hebrews 11, he's saying, look, these people have seen this. These are the people that have seen this. They have walked this in their life. They have walked through suffering. They have walked through persecution. They have walked through good. They have walked through bad. They have seen abundance. They have seen poverty of all these things. But overall, they have fixed their eyes on the promise, and they have continued on. It wasn't based on what they received from God. You see, it wasn't based on, well, as long as God is blessing me, I will continue walking in this. You see, I'm sure during those times that they had questions in the midst of suffering. Why is this happening this way? I mean, consider even Elijah as he, uh, immediately after the account of him on the Mount, Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal and seeing God rain down fire from heaven and consuming his sacrifice, and then all those prophets were killed. Immediately after that, we see him out in a state of depression asking for death. Now you can't tell me that those people that saw these huge miracles didn't have times of loneliness or depression or difficulty. But you see, even in that moment, he trusted God's call. He trusted when God spoke, and he ordered his life after that. What he is saying is all of these people have walked through everything, all of your suffering, everything that you were dealing with, you're not the only one. All of these people have walked through all of these things. And we're not talking about just simply... Uh, you know, talking about the witness of people that we see in the Word of God. Every one of us, uh, well, most of us probably have had somebody in your life that you have seen them walk in a way that they actually believed what God has spoken, that they ordered their life after what God was spoken. There was one uh, when I was leading worship. I think my favorite song to lead was an old hymn, It was written by Annie Flint. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but some of you probably know who she is. But Annie Flint, when she was a young woman, uh, her mother died. And uh, her father couldn't take care of uh, the girls, so he sent them off to live with a relative. And uh, she eventually developed severe arthritis through, through her years to the point where eventually she was just 
uh, in bed all the time. She couldn't do anything for herself. She had to have people come in and do everything for her. And you can imagine how that would feel so degrading to have people have to do some of the things for you that you usually don't want other people to see, uh, but to have to ask somebody to do those things for you. And there were a lot of other things that happened. She had just a very, very rough life. But in the midst of that, she was a poet, and she wrote so many poems glorifying God. And the one that she wrote in the midst of that suffering, I think it's such an amazing testimony uh, to the people of God of a life that believed God is who he says he is in spite of suffering. She wrote, He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials is multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, when the day is half done, when we've reached the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving has only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundaries known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. You see, that is a testimony of somebody who had a greater vision of something beyond this world. Their body was wasting away in this world, but she saw something beyond this. She was able to fix her eyes on the glories of God, the ways that in, that, in the midst of that suffering that he was giving her peace and comfort. The Bible says that God is the God of all comfort. You see, we have testimonies of people who believed God was he, who he says he is, and they trusted him, in spite of whatever was going on around him. There are people even closer that speak to our hearts, that witness to us about Christ. Uh, one of the most amazing things for me, I think, growing up was uh, in, in a pastor's home was, you know, when the church used to do revivals and things a lot more than they do now. And through that time, we would, we would have that, uh, you know, revival meetings, and the pastors would come through and a lot of them would stay in our home or they would stay in the area and you'd have dinner with them. One of the most significant things I think in my formation of faith was being able to sit around a dinner table and just hear those men and women of faith talking about the goodness of God, talking about the depths of who he is, talking about the nature of who God is and how he has revealed himself among us, how he interacts with mankind. It is significant to hear the people of faith to, to talk about those things. And one guy in particular, some of you might know Pastor Bill Neese. He was a, uh, a long-time evangelist. He started preaching, I think, around 16 or 17 years old. And I think he died at 91 years old. And up until almost the end, he was still traveling all across the country, uh, preaching and teaching. I mean, it was within at least a couple of years of his death, I think that he was still driving and traveling across the country preaching. And he was one of those men that sat in our home. And I was able to hear him talk about the goodness of God. You see, but it becomes even closer to that. It can be people that, are, it doesn't have to be a household name who is somebody who is a witness to the goodness of God. It doesn't have to be somebody who travels the country preaching or somebody who stands on a stage or somebody who is a household name because they wrote something that everybody knows. It doesn't have to be that. You see, my grandma was, uh, we, it's, at a certain point in my life, we lived directly beside them and, uh, 
She always made me breakfast when I would run over there in the morning. But that I can remember, I never ever remember seeing my grandma in the morning where she wasn't sitting at a table with a glass of tea and peanut butter toast in her Bible open in her prayer list. Never one time. I have never ever seen her in my life not do that. Uh, And I had never looked that in depth at her prayer list until after she died and my sister made a copy of her prayer list. And this, this is her prayer list. It's just names. There's not, there's not a bunch of other information. It's just names, name after name, of all the people that she had prayed for. Four sheets of just names in churches, in places, in government officials. And, I mean, these, I, I guarantee there are people in this prayer list that had no idea somebody was praying for, for them. You see, it doesn't have to be the witness of somebody who is a household name. You and I can be in the same way, a witness to other people of the goodness of God, of the transcendent nature of God, that He is beyond this world. He is beyond suffering. He is beyond difficulty. He's in good times when we have abundance or when we have nothing. God is still good and His disposition towards me is goodness. That I can experience peace and comfort in the midst of every kind of suffering in this life, the same way as he he said, therefore, because you are surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, all of these people who believe God is who he says he is, and they have ordered their lives that way. Because of that, then, he goes on and he says, because of this, let's go to verse um, Hebrews 12, verse 1. says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, He's calling us in this moment to consider those who have gone, gone on before us, those who have ordered their lives after God, who have ordered their lives after the promise of God, and to not grow weary because all of these people have walked through this. And they have come out on the other side with their faith. They have been uh, tried by the fire, and they have been purified. They have been refined in their faith journey. And they have come out on the other side in a way that they would glorify God and be a witness to other people of God's goodness. You see, that's why it is significant that we come together as the church because one believer tells of the goodness of God, the ways that he has worked in my life, the things that he has brought me to, the way that he has comforted me through suffering and difficulty, the ways that he has helped me when I didn't have anything financially, though I might not have had money to buy the things that I, need, that I wanted, but God has given me everything that I needed for life. He's provided everything that was necessary for my life. You see, everything that you can think of, we gain the confidence in God through the witness of brothers and sisters in Christ. That is why it is significant that we meet together that we testify together, that we talk about God together, considering even talking about God together, that it wouldn't just be a matter of hearing about God, talking about God when we come together 
for a Sunday morning gathering or when we're in a Bible study. But when you eat together, when you walk together, the Bible says this about how we should interact with our children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 6, it says, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and shall be as, a, as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So he's saying everywhere that you go, everything that you do, direct it towards God. In all of your conversations, make sure that you are telling people about the goodness of God, especially our children. Because you understand that they are going to go out of here and people are going to tell them that they are foolish to believe that a God exists. That people, I've heard atheists say it. I love to watch debates between Christians and atheists. I have heard people say that only intelligent people uh, or, or only unintelligent people believe that God, there is a God that exists. That is what they're going to be able to be told over and over. And I'm telling you, if they are hammered with that message over and over, but they never hear the witness of, of people of Christ, if they never see the witness of somebody who has a living faith in something where they can look and say that, I, I see that in that person that was living because no matter what they went through, because, no matter what, if it was suffering or pain or loss or difficulty or abundance or poverty, I see that they directed their life towards God. Unless they see that in somebody and somebody is willing to talk about it, they are eventually going to succumb, succumb to that message. Satan's never going to take a day off where he stops hammering people and beating them. He, the Bible says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. He doesn't take time off from that. Right now he is doing it. You see, that is why it is significant that we are a part of the body of Christ, that we come together, that we talk about God together, that we always point towards him in everything, because somebody is looking at each one of us as a witness. Almost done. Let's look at, uh, again, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us throw off everything that hinders. Because we have this witness of all these people that have gone before us, and they've been refined in in their faith, they have tasted God's goodness, and they ultimately went to be with him forever. Because of this, let us then throw off everything that hinders in the sin that easily entangles and run the race. I was thinking about this this morning Throwing off everything that hinders. And you know, when, when somebody is serious about running or any kind of sport or whatever it is, if somebody's serious about doing something and they want to do it well, they anticipate the things that will hinder them from reaching the goal. Now think about it this way. When I was a worship leader, well, I've, I've spent the over, over the last 20 years of my life doing some sort of worship events. I started doing those kind of things, playing drums for worship events when I was about 14. And in some way since then, I have been involved heavily in leading worship. And eventually, when you're that young, you do a lot of things because you have no idea what you're doing. Sometimes that results in you looking kind of foolish in front of people. 
because you don't know what you're doing. But eventually, if you look foolish enough, you learn to not do those things, right? Or you should learn to not do those things anymore. But eventually, at some point, along the way in leading worship, I learned to anticipate the things that could go wrong. We went from, if, if I was playing with the band and we would normally show up an hour before playing a concert, we eventually started showing up six hours before a concert. Why? Because something always goes wrong with the sound system. There's always something that is wrong. There, there will always be something that happens. You see, we eventually learned to anticipate those things and to work through those things before we actually got to the moment of being in front of people. So that when I got to a worship setting, when we were actually in front of people, we have done everything that we possibly could to uh, uh, overcome any hindrance, anything that we could think of. We would try to figure out how to avoid that and set up some sort of safeties uh, so that that wouldn't happen. You see, we learn to anticipate the things that would hinder us from accomplishing the purpose. It's the same way with anything in life. If you're a runner, if you're serious about it, you figure out ways to anticipate the things that would keep you from crossing the finish line first. If you play any sort of sport, if you play baseball, you you learn to anticipate uh, you know, any, anything, even you go on a baseball field and you look at what, what kind of, is it, is it grass, is it dirt? You know, like when I, I grew up playing baseball and I played, at that point I was a pitcher and played second base, but when I was playing second base, I would look and see, okay, how, how big is the lip on the edge of the grass? Because at some point you're going to hit a ground, somebody's going to hit you a ground ball and you want to know, is that thing going to bounce up and smash me in the face? Right? So you look to anticipate the things that are going to hinder you. That is what we have to do in our faith walk. We have the witness of those who have gone before us, those who have faithfully faithfully entrusted themselves to the care of God and who have walked with him through everything that life could throw at them. Because of this witness then, he's saying, every one of you who looks on them, now you look at your life and you look at the things that are going on around you and anticipate the things that are going to hinder you from finishing the race well. Now that means we evaluate everything. It means you evaluate the relationships around you. Maybe we have friends around us that we continually go around that are dragging us down, hindering us from walking in a relationship with God. I'm not saying we should cut off everybody around us, but sometimes we get involved in toxic relationships with people, uh, friends, or sometimes even family, and we just need to take a step away from situations. Sometimes for people it's being hindered because your main goal in life is making money. Because you have all these things that you want and need. You feel like you need anyway. Anything that you can think of, Satan uses as a hindrance to us. You see, my, the things that hinder me in life might not be the same things that hinder you in your faith walk. It's different for every one of us because we are all different. That is why it is necessary for every one of us, number one, to be connected to brothers and sisters in Christ so that we may have the witness of others, the testimony of others, and to see the goodness of God in them. But then for me to be able to be alone with God, to know God personally, to walk in His Spirit, so that I might search myself and understand who I actually am. What are the things that hinder me personally? 
And how do I set up things in life so that I avoid all of these things that want to entangle me and choke the life out of me? See, because everything that Satan does is meant to choke the life out of believers in Christ so that they will not finish the race. You see, the issue is that way too many times we are so passive in our spiritual walk that we just let come life come at us. We never anticipate the things that will hinder us from reaching the goal. We never actually look in the depths of who we are and try to understand uh, what are the things within me that need to change. Being brutally honest with ourselves. You see, God wants to do something in us. He wants to remove the things within us that hinder us from walking with Him. This is the last thing I'll say. Uh, Carrie and Mandy can come up as we, as we end this morning. God wants to do something within your heart today. He wants to do something in our churches. He wants to bind us together in unity to help us walk in fellowship together, to help us walk in a way that we would be able to testify to each other to the goodness of God, in that then encouraging one another on, as the Bible says, towards love and good deeds. That happens by being connected to brothers and sisters in Christ, but he wants to do something in you and I individually that we may be a witness to somebody, whether, whether we end up being a household name, as I've talked about or not. We don't have to be that, to be a witness that would lead somebody on to fix their eyes on the goodness of God and to never divert their attention from him. We can be an active part of that in the lives of the people around us. But you see, it takes us fixing, on, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith, to anticipate the things that hinder us and throw off everything that entangles us, desiring to choke the life out of us. God wants to do something in you and I today. He wants to know us. He wants to have fellowship and peace with us today. If you have a need today, we're not going to do altars today. Um, but if you have a need, if there's something that God's speaking to you about, uh, find me, find one of the elders. We will talk with you. We will pray with you. Uh, but don't, don't miss what God wants to do in you today. He might want to remove something within you that is hindering you from walking within you, within it, with him. He might just simply want you to experience the joy of worshiping together as a community of believers. Whatever that is, in these moments, do not throw away the next few moments. Make sure that you are attentive to what God would have to say to you this morning. God, we love you this morning. We thank you for your goodness, for your grace, your love, your mercy, for all that you are. Father, help us to be people that would seek to glorify you in all things. Help us to be people that would uh, be so in tune with you that we would anticipate the attacks of the enemy. Father, that we would look for the things that would hinder our spiritual walk. Give us spiritual vision to see those things that are roadblocks, the things that are set up to choke the life out of us. Father, help us to be people that would be 
people of vision who would see the witness of those who have gone before us, those who have walked faithfully, faithfully with you, and help us to order our lives in the same way, in belief that you are good, that you are the God of all comfort, and you never leave us or forsake us. Father, we love you today. It is your name we pray. Amen.